So, Simona Dimoski, welcome to the show. You're currently the, well, you're an executive board director, and uh, you're also currently the head of security and technology at, at Chambers, and before you've been a CAO. So, tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the, in the cybersecurity space. I was kind of fascinated. It wasn't something that I was aspiring to. Maybe I didn't really have the kind of role models. I didn't really even know what like IT was really going to be about. And this is back in the sort of the mid 90s. Coming into that, I was fascinated by everything that I was learning in terms of just whether it was around the data, the science, the the technology piece, and, and absolutely loved it. Probably the last 10 years have really shaped my career. Like everything I had learned previously, I was able to apply and elevate every step of the way, almost like every year. The last 10 years, actually, I intentionally started to put myself as the main protagonist in my life story. I really started to think about, you know, what do I want? Where do I want to be? And and started almost writing that story out. So, and that is through putting um, setting in intentions and concrete sort of actions behind, okay, well, how am I going to get there? You know, what, what is it that I really want? Where do I want to be? What am I interested in? Really kind of started to look at, you know, okay, what courses do I need to do? What are sort of uh, some of the things that I need to become more aware of? Do I need to start taking on different projects to what I normally do? Anyway, the short to kind of summarise the last 10 years, I have really started to challenge myself and grow and get out of my comfort zone intentionally. I started being a lot more open to any opportunities that were coming my way and really looking for, okay, you know, where is the mutual benefit in this? How can I how can I add value, but also how can I grow from this experience? Like to summarize it, right? If it's to be, it's up to me for our listeners. So basically up, up to you. Exactly. It's up to you. How hard was the step actually into the first CIO role? Because I think that's a, a common goal for many people in, in our industries. Oh my goodness. It was the hardest role that I ever did. The step up between uh, that looking after the PMO, which kind of had, and, and obviously, you know, I've had like that 20 years of experience in different roles across all of IT, where I'm talking about, you know, the analyst, programmer role, um, you know, release management, configuration, service management, parts of architecture, financials, projects, delivery, you know, I've done it all. Stepping into the CIO role was like almost the culmination of 20 years of experience and putting it all together into one role. I'm kind of thinking of a meme, you know, like where you kind of think the expectation versus reality. If you've ever seen any of those kind of pop up in social media, it was very different to what I thought. It was really literally the hardest role that I ever had to do. And I had to pull all the resources that I had in terms of like mental fitness, in terms of physical sort of endurance, resilience. You know, I had to get a lot of tools as well, external to just the tools that I had through my experience. And that was through a coach. I also had an organizational psychologist come in and work with my team and work with myself a little bit as well. So, so it was it was a real big leap, and the role is really really high pressure. In actual fact, and I think at the time when I was a CIO, I worked in an in an organization that had like thirty different business units they looked after. So it wasn't a small feat, and every single business unit was very different too, and the product 
products, like the product lines were really different to each other. And this all happened at a time right before COVID hit. And so we had to, within a few months of starting that CIO position, we had to almost shift everything, heaven and earth, I'm talking about to make sure that people could work remotely. Um, you know, the organization at the time wasn't set up for that. It, there was just a lot of pressure all around sort of environmental pressures, work pressures, and just, you know, COVID as well. So the expectation versus reality expectation was, you know, like, okay, well, finally, here I am. This is what I've wanted. And the reality was, oh my gosh, I've just been hit by a train. Like, you know, how do I get up from here now? Okay. That, that's a great segue, I guess, to the actual topic of today's uh, episode, which is mental fitness in a leadership role. And I think you already explained why that topic is is close to your heart. So what's sort of, you know, the, the framework you, you have for yourself now created after such a tough role of how you go about that? Or how would you ensure the leadership role is actually equipped mentally with the right, what do you call this, features, functions, attitudes? First of all, I, I had a 30, 60, 90 day plan coming into that role and thinking about what I would do in, the, in that time frame and what I wanted to achieve. Obviously, that all went out of the window. But I kept on thinking, you know, the role was going to be 50% about IT, like roughly, and technology actually, and, you know, putting together the roadmaps and thinking about, you know, what needed to be done. And I thought, okay, 50-50, it will be 50 technology, 50 people and leadership. When I actually commenced the role, it for me, it felt like it was going to be 90%, it, or it turned out to be 90% about the people, if not more, and less about the technology. I mean, that Technology is the foundation, obviously, of a CIO role, but everything from stakeholder management to empowering teams to looking after yourself as the leader as well turned out to really be the biggest component of that role. And look, we were all going through a very challenging situation, like a, just with with COVID and the enabling of the entire organization to work remotely, which you know wasn't something that they were able uh, we were able to do prior to COVID um, kind of come hitting us all. So what ended up happening is that I saw a lot of people around myself very, very challenged by the situation that we were all in. And that reflected on obviously how, and myself, I'm sure as well, on how we all kind of showed up at work. For the first time ever, we were all suddenly put into a position where we had to, you know, take Zoom calls or Teams calls continuously all day long. And, you know, that was really, really new for us. There was this whole sense of overwhelm, exhaustion. It just seemed like, you know, everything was grinding to a halt, but the pressures of what we had to actually do and accomplish in a matter of probably a few months were, were massive. So if, if I talk about some of the things that we had to do during that time period, in, and it was only about a couple of months after I started this new CIO role. So we rolled out teams to the organization. We had to enable VPN. Um, we had to enable multi-factor authentication. We also put together a soft phone solution, commenced working in an agile way. Uh, luckily, a little bit prior to that, we really reshaped our teams and we we pretty much did a transformation program that I would have normally, it would have taken us like at least six to 12 months to did it in six weeks. And that took a massive toll on everybody. And I continue to do this for myself as well as for the team is to really focus on our mental resilience and our mental fitness. 
So mental fitness is a little bit different to mental health, but it's really about the more proactive self-awareness, understanding of an awareness between um, the team that you're working on. It's really about looking at probably four things, four pillars, emotional, social, financial, and physical, and for each individual as well as for yourself. So let me explain a little bit more about this. Some of the things that we did in this that I did for myself and for the team as well is we started working with an organizational psychologist. So we we brought someone in. Luckily, we had done some training with this group and they did a course for us around resilience and grit prior to this whole massive transformation that we did in six weeks. And we had some really positive experiences as an entire team with the, that was provided that course by an organizational psychologist. And so we brought that group in to work with some key individuals across our team because we could see that there was, you know, some some pressures and overwhelm that were starting to creep up and I was starting to feel it myself. And what this feeling starts to look like is, you know, the the deadline crunch, the getting up sort of, you know, you're getting up in the middle of the night because thoughts are coming to you about work. You can never switch off because there's constantly so much to do. It just seems like the list, the to-do list and the things that need to be done completely consume your life. And we were all starting to feel this. We were all starting to work a lot later in the night. You know, I'd be sending emails quite late. And, you know, sometimes that really worked for me because I do have three kids as well. And so I would do some, some work when they went to bed. But it was starting to get into a really negative pattern because then people thought that I had to respond. So I was getting emails back from my team like at 11 o'clock at night, at midnight, you know, people were starting to work around the clock. It was it was really intense. So anyway, we brought in an organizational psychologist to help us understand, okay, you know, we need to make some changes, but what do these changes look like and what should we focus on and how do we now shift this culture that we've created um, or has been created almost by the environment we were in or the time that we were in? And, and the psychologist team worked with us individually and then came up with some recommendations in terms of our team dynamic. But it ended up being a continuous program of work that I pretty much, I was in that role for two years that I continuously, we had probably an 18-month program running around mental resilience and fitness across myself and, and the team. Now, what does mental fitness look like? Look, I think for every individual, the mental fitness that you require may be different to someone else, right? I would recommend or put guardrails around a certain amount of time every day, maybe an hour, maybe half an hour to really do things for yourself that will change your chemical balance in a positive way. And that may be things like, you know, going for a walk. The recommended things are like, don't go on your screen um, and scrolling through Instagram does not qualify as, you know, doing something good for your mental health. Does that really work? And and the reason the reason I'm asking is, so I've, I've signed up for those lunchtime yoga classes and it was, uh, yes. it was torture because the thoughts of things to do that popped up during that yoga session actually didn't make me yeah. be present in that in that yoga session, right? Exactly as you said, you, you get up in the middle of the night and realize what you have to do. And you know, I know those tricks where in a hotel room they often have a, a pen and a paper next to your bed, so that when you wake up, you just write something down, get it out of your head, go back to sleep. I mean, that that's the theory. And the reason the topic is close to my heart is like I just had a previous session with Dr. John Chen and Sally Clark, and they actually 
uh, ran a global study on burnout. And it also is known that to develop a culture that produces well-being and high performance is actually a foundation. And you already alluded to this as well, right? So you brought this yeah. psychologist in to look at the culture you created. Yes. And actually our ex-CEO said once that he purposely sets a send later yes. sort of function in his, in his, so he writes emails at 11 p.m. because that's sort of after the kids go to bed or whatever, it's a good time. Everything's quiet. You have time to think and get actually things done yeah but you, you don't want to actually establish that thinking that employees go like oh i got a i got a, an email from my boss's boss i'll respond to that and so my question now is a does that really work in your experience and b when the airplane is in trouble right and a mask come down yeah. we have to put our own mask on first. first right so that we can help others so now you talked about the team mental fitness and your own mental fitness so those are the two areas i'd like to explore with you if you don't mind simona let me kind of go back to to, you know, that first question, does it really work in that moment in time when you're already kind of, you're seeing yourself slide a little bit into that space where, you know, there's overwhelm happening already. You're seeing the red flags for yourself. And this is if you're self-aware. And you know what? Next time as well, I'm sure I'm going to be, and I am already a lot more self-aware. I think as you're going through it for the, maybe not the first time, but if, you know, I feel for me, that was really probably most challenging times of my career. And you're right. When you're already in that space where you're waking up really late, you can never switch off anything that you do with any even family member. You're thinking you're not present anymore. You're thinking about something else at work. In those times, I found like actually I could not do yoga and I had friends that were encouraging me quite a lot to say, you know what, you need to do yoga and you need to meditate. And I would be like, no, 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 I, I need to run actually and I'm not a runner. So, so maybe the point is think about or, or just be conscious if you can carve out half an hour, listen to your body, listen to yourself. What are you needing right now? If you're already in this sort of like fast forward state, your body needs to do something fast. But some of the key things are, and this is going to be hard, your brain will probably be resisting this. Um, you won't want to do it, but if you can persist, and one of the things that I can recommend is use like even um, a habits app or something like that. And if half an hour feels too crazy, start smaller. So I'll give you some of the tips that were actually given to me through, I had an executive coach at the time as well that was helping me. And it's not a recipe, but when you get to that state, reach out for external help, someone that you can trust, someone you worked with, a mentor, you can work through this with. Now, the other thing is it's a multi-pronged approach. Listen to your body and what it's telling you at that time. You may have needs, you know, you're in a fast forward mode, do something more active with, with yourself try journaling some of that stuff. Maybe it's just writing thoughts out. Just the act of writing some of this stuff down is going to be quite helpful. Just let anything that comes to your mind, put it down on paper that has been scientific research that has shown. And I know from my own experience, actually at those times when my mind's at the most um, overwhelm and million things are going through my mind, it, it will actually help to sit down and kind of just write some stuff down. Now, the other thing that you can do is something creative. So maybe something completely unrelated. Maybe you can just, you know, draw something or journaling is part of the creative work as well. The recipe I would say is carve out a little bit of time, whatever you can spare, start small, something is better than nothing, just to really kind of try and reconnect with yourself. Allow some of that possibly if, if you know, that high cortisol and adrenaline that's running through your body to allow it to kind of come out somehow other than just with your mind racing. 
that was one of the things that I did. So you look after yourself, that's one pillar. And then how do you make sure the team is taken care of? This is, I'm so excited about this because now you've just sparked my memories of some of the things that we did. So we, as a team, we had a daily huddle. Uh, we started working in an agile way. Like we didn't fully adopt, let's say, Scrum and be really prescriptive about it. We kind of started taking small things that we and started amending our practices, like our, our ways of working. So we had a daily huddle. And in this daily huddle, we focused you normally, we would focus on, okay, what are the three things you're going to, you know, I'll be doing today. And all of us went around the room. There was, this was virtual, sorry, the virtual room. And there was on this call about 26 people. So it was pretty big. Normally, we would talk about the three things we wanted to focus on today, any barriers um, that we had that we had to remove. And that was pretty much it. But it ended up just being so transactional and so fast. And we spended, we ended up spending more time kind of work, talking about all the negative things that, you know, because it was just so many barriers and, you know, everything was getting so hard to do. So we actually flipped the conversation with the team. Doing that gratitude work that I started on and it was just, you know, to start off, it was like, okay, let me think about three things that I'm grateful for today. And some days it could just be all the same things. I brought that practice in with the team into the daily huddle. So we said, you know what, we're going to start this thinking about one thing that you're grateful for today or one person you're grateful for and why. And so our huddle and the conversation we're having on that huddle became a little bit less about the work, which was also always there. And we used visual management boards so we could actually see a lot of visualize the work. So we started actually talking about us in this huddle. And, and that really changed the dynamic. And you would hear people talking about, you know, someone that did some great work for them yesterday or it completely changed how we interacted with each other rather than seeing each other as a barrier in one way. We actually said, well, I'm actually thankful for this person, the things that they did. The other thing that I did was I brought into that huddle, actually at the beginning of the huddle, we did a meditation. We, we kind of just took, you know, three to five minutes out and played calming meditation. I've got some really amazing things that I discovered during that time. One of our favorite videos was One Grateful Day. It just brings to you the whole, just changes your entire perspective, you know, on everything that's going on and how significant or insignificant some things that you worry so much about. So, th so that, again, that changed the dynamic. We spent a lot more time looking at you know, kind of self-awareness, decision-making, how do we make decisions? You know, we spent a lot of time prioritizing our work using different frameworks, but one of the ones that comes to mind is obviously the Agile framework, so um, Moscow. But from a personal perspective, the Eisenhower sort of quadrants where you kind of look at, you may have a million things that are coming to you today, and I use this to this day all the time. You know, what's the most urgent and important thing? You know, what are some of the things that you spend time on that are really important, but ideally you want to spend more time on those when they're not urgent. So you've got, you're proactively doing them. But anything that fell below this line, like not important, not urgent, you know, it could be just emails that people are sending that you can't add any more value to or, um, you know, just kindly disregard them. We did quite a lot of work in terms of understanding sort of the work that we had and how we could pragmatically look at, you know, how can we hit 
two birds with the same stone sort of thing. Like if we do this one thing, will it also help us actually do these other 10 things or will they go away? So we did a lot of work with the team on, it seemed like a lot of the overwhelm was being caused by the amount of work that was coming through and the deadlines. So understanding that was really paramount. But also then, you know, kind of prioritizing some of that, really looking at what that work was, is it the most important thing or not, also helped. But this this personal work that we did, like around the gratitude, the mindfulness, the, the meditations, like I did a wellness week, I had a wellness hour every day. Didn't send any more emails, for example, um, at the end of the night and I did schedule them to have a delay, which is a practice that I've adopted ever since as well. So there was a lot of changes we made as an entire team. We did workshops around, well, above the line, below the line behaviors. What do they look like? What is our social contract? You know, who are we? Who do we want to be? And all of this stuff, you know, kind of falls into the agile ways of working as well. But there was also a mindset shift that we were creating at the same time and getting ourselves out of the depths of pending, impending burnout for all of us, to that's be honest. Great. That's great, Simona, because that's also part of the open practice library that, that we use at Work for our workshops. All right, Simona. So that's a, a lot of experience you got in, in that area and, and also a lot of useful tips. So maybe to wrap this episode up, Simona, I'd, I'd like to just throw a couple of topics or headlines at you and, and you then can give me your uh, recommendation in those uh, areas. So let's start off with mindful leadership. Mindful leadership. So like for me, this has got many elements around it. It's about, but I think primarily is it's about really being humanistic, really having a connection with that other human on the other side of, or that team on, on the other side of the conversation. It's really about being curious as to what their experience is like and how you may be impacting, your leadership may be impacting them. It's about really trying to get the best out of people or help them, motivate them, inspire them rather than, you know, kind of influence people to do something that you want. It, it's a real fine distinction between, between the two. Wellness and self-care. For me, wellness and self-care, predominantly, I'll boil it down to, to this. It's really about putting the guardrails around your time every single day to do something that will change your chemical balance in a positive way. Personal resilience. Personal resilience. Look, I think for me, this is about really being aware of yourself, your emotions, your mental state at any given time and being really curious, like not judging yourself, challenge your own thoughts, not everything that you think is the truth. Continue to work on yourself in through different tool sets that you might already have. But if you don't have those tool sets available to you and you kind of like sick of feeling the way that you do, for an example, reach out to someone Talk to a colleague, find a mentor, get a coach. Personal and team boundaries. Oh, I love this one too, actually. I've been doing a lot of work on boundaries. And that's one of the things that I didn't mention earlier on, but we did. I did a lot of work with my team on boundaries. I actually discovered my personal boundaries probably going through this journey as well. I don't think I was as aware until my boundaries were really being pushed that I even had those boundaries. Like they were like a revelation for me. And so I've been doing a lot of work on personal and team boundaries. Personal boundaries 
really connected to my time and you know where I spend my time and maybe maybe it is also about certain interactions or pressures that I feel there definitely seems to be something a, a connection to time which meetings I, I go to so I have done a lot of work around actually explicitly putting out my boundaries that I can make them a little bit more visible to my team. For example, that, you know, I won't attend meetings that don't have an agenda. I will only um, attend meetings that fit within a certain sort of like time frame. You know, maybe it's nine to five and I'm not going to do meetings before nine and or, or after five. For example, if someone needs me urgently, um, that's fine. They can give me a call and I've made these explicit with the team, but otherwise there's no need for a phone call. So like don't inundate my phone with a lot of phone calls while I'm at meetings and, you know, all this other stuff's going on. So I, I did discover those boundaries for myself and also team boundaries. It's about, you know, that whole piece that we did around above the line, below the line behaviors. It was really work that we were doing around our boundaries, like what someone finds as an attack on their boundary someone else may not, like they may have different boundaries. So it was really about finding those common boundaries that we all kind of felt, well, actually as a team, these are this is our social contract. This is our above the line, below the line behaviours because as a team, these are our boundaries. That's what we really were talking about. And that was enormously liberating. It enabled us to have really healthy conversations but also get to understand each other you know, why something that for some one person wasn't going to be a bit of an, you know, it wasn't an issue for someone else, actually, this was crossing their boundaries. So I think what I would recommend is teamwork around, you know, who we are, what is our social contract? What do we think of this? What are some of the scenarios that we can play out? Guiding principles for leaders. Okay, I'm going to boil it down again to one statement. The leadership, it's about the people. You know, when I talked about earlier when I became the CEO and I was thinking, okay, this is going to be, you know, it's going to be competency, it's going to be technology, it's going to be, you know, all these things rolled up. Like leadership really is about people. It's 90, 95% people. You may need to use different frameworks of leadership that you're not comfortable with or you don't even know about because the way that you lead others is not the same every single time and it's not the same for every person. And then finally, what do you recommend for teams with regards to coaching their leaders? Ah, oh, yeah. How would you recommend teams to, you know, to to manage their manager, maybe even right, to coach their leaders and say, hey, this is how we roll, this is how you get the best out of us, and and things like this, because it really creates win-win situations if you think about it. It does, it does, and actually, it's like it's so, in one sense, such a simple thing, but in another sense, really hard to execute, especially if the leader is sometimes present and people don't feel safe to be able to voice, you know, okay, how can we get this leader? Uh, what, what sort of feedback would I give them or how how can I give them coaching advice? I think for me, the best way to do this is through those workshops uh, that I mentioned earlier on. So maybe think about what are some of the things that we need to establish as part of this team? And it could be, it, there's no hierarchy in these workshops. It's really about, you know, having topics of discussion, putting thoughts out there, best facilitated even through an external, someone outside of your team, not necessarily if you're the leader and you're asking for advice and you're putting, you're facilitating the meeting and it just does not provide the sort of output that you want. I think this is a process. It's not something that you ever kind of arrive at either. I feel like it's continuous. Thank you. Simona Dimovsky, former CIO, executive board director, and currently head of security and technology at Chambers. I've loved it. 